Pot on the Tyne is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Pot on the Time, brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and I'm here with Chris Woff and Alex Hurst. How are we doing, lads? Are we good? Very good, thank you, yes. Tremendous, thanks. Excellent, lovely to have you in the studio this week. We're going to be talking about a big week for Newcastle United, two wins off the belt, an FA Cup quarter final to look forward to, new contracts for two key players and all sorts of other shenanigans. Are we ready to dive in? Yes, because I think it's apt that George Calkin is not here this week because it's not as miserable as normal, so we don't need him to be <laughs> It's just a, a cloud has lifted from the room, hasn't it? Yeah. The King of Mirth is no longer here. He's away doing something somewhere. I don't know what he's doing, riding around on the back of badgers or something. In the <laughs> is that what he does? That's <laughs> what he does, yes. It's <laughs> badger riding. Uh, yeah, so, Alex, great to have you, mate. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for the invite. We'll, we'll go straight to you. It's been a big week, hasn't it, for, for Newcastle? There's been lots going on. Tremendous week, I think, if you told any of us any fan that would go away from home twice and get the two big wins when needed, you'd bite the hand off. Let's face it, we we are a very average team normally, but we're even worse away from home. So to go to Premier League grounds and win, doesn't matter how many men you're playing against or who misses what chances, Absolutely. it's always a, a brilliant feeling. Chris, have you recovered from West Brom yet? I think I've recovered better than you have. <laughs> I'm still struggling, to be honest. Still one side of my entire body is like boiled off the radiator I had to sit on top of on the coach on the way back. And it was I was like a boiled ham all the way home. It was it was lovely. George, the smell must have been incredible. Well, I mean, <laughs> some of George's stories, yeah, suggest that the, 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 the smell was quite incredible. But, I mean, the fact that George didn't have anything to drink as well, I, I felt a little bit for him in that sense. I mean, it was pretty naive in, in his part to think, oh, I'll, I'll write something as well, so I won't have a drink. It was an idiotic decision from yeah. him, let's be honest. He has made them in the past. He's got form. But yeah, um, we, we've... Uh, We've had a pretty decent week. We've got uh, an FA Cup quarter-final to look forward to. Um, we've just put a goal past Southampton and won that game as well. And the West Brom game, we, we played pretty well. This new Steve Bruce formation change has brought about winning football. Is that what is that where we are? Have we just been quite lucky? I think it's certainly made them far better to watch and far more uh, of a, an offensive threat. I mean, at Southampton on Saturday, even before they went down to 10 men, I thought Newcastle, for large parts looked more threatening than I've seen in a, in a long, long while. I mean, I can count on one hand, essentially, the amount of decent halves of football I've seen this season before the last sort of two matches. And yet against West Brom and Southampton, it was actually a borderline entertaining. I would actually describe it as wow. entertaining as well, which is, borderline is a big entertaining. statement. It's, it's a big statement, <laughs> I accept, given given this season. But I thought first, I mean, part of that, the reason for that was even before Southampton went down to 10 men, that gave John Joe Shelby sort of the just the run of, of St. Mary's. Yeah. He had so much freedom and he was he just kept on pinging long balls to, to pin them back. St. Maximan looked dangerous. Almiron wasn't as effective as he probably was at West Brom, but was still buzzing around making good runs. And, and Dwight Gale, an actual centre forward, getting into centre forward positions. His finishing obviously wasn't yeah. up to scratch, but actually having someone in the box making those runs made so much of a difference. I think I'd rather be missing seeing players miss chances than not creating them at all. I think that's much better, isn't it? Much more uh, 
the the thing. It's what you want. Yeah, definitely. I think Dwight Gale, he's got his critics. And is he going to score us 20 goals in a Premier League season? Probably not. Well, definitely not. But like you say, Taylor... Um, one of them will go in, probably, eventually. And that's better than <laughs> have, it? that's better than no goals and no shots from Joe Linton up front, kind of stinking the place out. Yeah. So f- fair play to Steve Bruce. You know, you mentioned the formation change. That mustn't have been an easy conversation with the lads in training when he's like, right, lads, I know I've told the world you can't play any differently, but you're so <laughs> bad <laughs> that I, I need you to. Yeah. And if you could if you could try not to lose these three games this week, that would also be champion. And they've they've pulled it they've pulled it out the bag from so yeah. Well done, Steve. I say. Yeah, we know and you know and I know that you're not capable of this, <laughs> but you're going to have to do it anyway for the crack. Yeah, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? I thought this was the first time I thought actually we mentioned Almir on there. I thought this was the first time that I thought he looked a bit tired against Southampton. I thought he just looked like maybe he'd run around a bit too much against West Brom and his legs were starting to get a bit heavy. And it's the first time I've seen it since he came. And I thought, oh, maybe the kid needs a little bit of a break. But he's he's just non-stop, isn't he? He just runs himself into the ground every week. He is, and I actually felt sorry for him during the second half because Newcastle lost their way. First first half, when the... <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like us. When, when Southampton first went down to 10 men, Newcastle looked quite good and responded well to it. Southampton sort of reorganised at half-time, came out a lot better. And, and Newcastle were ponderous at times during the second half. I thought they were wasteful. Shelby's effectiveness waned. I thought he, he just kept coming deep and... They just weren't really incisive in possession, but Almiron kept making sort of quite clever runs in behind, yeah. and he just they just weren't finding them. Instead, they were going wide, or, and so I felt for him a little bit, but he, he did look quite tired. And Bruce made some interesting substitutions, but I actually thought they were effective. I know a lot of people saying, why did he bring on Lazaro at right back? But I mean, Southampton weren't offering a threat, so he, to get another attacking player on the pitch, I thought made sense, even if he, he clearly isn't an out-and-out right back. Mm. And eventually it paid off. I mean, Sean Longstaff's ball, for the for the goal, it was it was an awful ball. I don't, I, don't, I really don't know what he was trying to do, but but Valerie's <laughs> managed to balls it up completely, and Sam Maximan gets in and takes takes the goal very well. So in terms of the substitutions he made, he tried to positively affect the game. Some of his substitutions have been strange in recent weeks, but I thought that it was the right thing to do. He went for it. He didn't just settle for right. We're probably going to get a point here. He wanted the three points yeah. and they actually went and got them in the end, albeit a little bit fortuitously come how the goal arrived. Yeah. Matt Ritchie on penalties. Discuss. Yeah, I'd be interested in your thoughts, actually, because I thought, bad penalty, because the keeper saves it. Yeah, I'm told that it was a really good penalty. It was hard, it was low, and you've got to give credit to the keeper. And I've always been of the opinion there's no such thing as a good penalty that doesn't hit the back of the net. Mm. Where do you stand on this one? I don't know. I think he's I, I think he's hit it pretty decently. I think he's got a bit of power behind it. I, think it's a, I do think it's a good save. I think if that's in open play and the ball lands at Matt Ritchie's feet at the penalty spot and he pings one in the corner and the keeper gets down to his left and tips it wide, you say a great save to the keeper. But penalty... You know, you say bad penalty. I, I don't know. The, the fact that the last three pens have been, to, you know, Pickford saved. Yes, he scored against Man City just. Mm. And now this one. I mean, we get so few penalties, uh, you know, uh, do they forget what they are? <laughs> yeah, is it I like that's what it where is, some, yeah. someone just says, Matt Ritchie, go and take that? And he's like, what am I supposed to do here? But, yeah, I mean, Hostley was the was the lad who took them before Ritchie and he, he can't take them anymore. Has Dwight Gill took penalties for us? I'm sure he, he took penalties in the championship, yeah. didn't he? So he missed one against Huddersfield and I think yeah. he was off them after that. All right. I mean, you would, have, you would have thought Shelby as well would be someone who could who could 
take a penalty. I always think John Joe Shelby looks like he just smashed one well over the bar, <laughs> like about 20 yards over the bar. Which is exactly what he did when he last took a pen for us at Hull. <laughs> oh, well, like, there you oh, go. Oh, well, like, the encyclopedic yes, yes. knowledge yeah. we have around oh, and this he missed, table. He missed in the Leicester shootout as well, didn't he? Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, you go. Newcastle and penalties, we know don't go hand in hand. I mean, that's just... If, if, if the West Brom game had gone to penalties, then there would have been bombs. We'd have lost. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean... The, the thing with Shelby uh, with Richie's penalty was interesting because afterwards he sort of said he said usually I go the other way and I mean I haven't gone mm. back to analyse his penalties but I, I didn't really I would have thought as a left foot he probably would go to the right usually but he, he said he seemed to say oh usually I would go the other way I just think with, with a penalty you should aim for the I know I'm, I'm saying this as, as a layman who can't take penalties, <laughs> well, obviously you, with 400 penalties under your belt <laughs> exactly. in Premier League games yeah. I, I would I, I mean just to me if you go top corner, I know it could go over the bar, but top corner, a keeper's not saving it. You give a keeper a chance if you go towards the bottom corner, yeah. if you can get across early. But what did Rafa say about bottom corners? He, he did. He and said bottom corners, and if you miss above, then you've still got a chance of scoring. Come on, Chris, you know the crack. I know, but I, was he was he was he referring <laughs> to penalties or was he referring to shots in general? Because I just, well, I, yeah. I mean, because I just, I just, and but. This is me, as I say, a penalty expert, Chris Woff. So. <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to your piece in The Athletic all about penalties <laughs> <laughs> coming up in the future. Yeah, but I think I, I think people were a little bit harsh on Matt Ritchie, I think, last week. I, I think he got a bit of stick, un, unwarranted stick, I would say. And I think, yes, he's, he's not looked himself since he's came back from injury, I don't think. And there's been a couple of games when he's kind of let the game go by him. And also, if he comes on, like we've said in the past, if he comes on halfway through a game, he looks like someone's just let a Yorkshire Terrier out of a car after a four-hour journey. And he's just all over the shop committing fouls and stuff. But I think some of the stick he got the other day was a bit was a bit unwarranted, a bit unnecessary. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought... Because I know a lot of people before the game are like, oh, why isn't he, why isn't he playing Lazaro in that advanced position? And I understand the argument that you want as much pace as possible, but I just think the Richie gives you a leadership out on the pitch. And I thought he did okay, certainly, certainly first half. He got, in, he got into some decent positions and just get, having a bit more of that experience. Otherwise, you've got a, you've got a front four, well, certainly the, the, th- the th- sort of three behind the striker are very inexperienced in the Premier League. Yeah. I'm not convinced long-term that Matt Ritchie is an, is an offensive player in the Premier League is necessarily the best idea, but for now, in the situation Newcastle are in, the fact that they just need to fight for points, I think he's, he needs to be in that team somewhere. Absolutely. And I think, uh, we'll go back to the Dwight Gale thing as well, I think he missed a couple of good chances in that game, but I'm, I'm still not worried about him. He's, he's making the chances, he's getting in the positions. There was a, a woman that Shelby curved that beautiful ball in, shaped it in from the right-hand side, and it bounces up and he heads it. And he heads it straight at the goalkeeper, literally a foot either side and it's a goal. But he's getting in those positions, which is exactly what Joel Linton wasn't doing. He's hardly played any football as well in absolutely, the last 12 yeah, months. Absolutely. You know, he got injured at the end of West Brom's season last year, came back for the playoffs and got himself sent off, which doesn't seem like Dwight, but it happened. Um, and, you know, it, the more he plays, I think the better he'll get. And he creates so much space for the likes of Almiron, for the likes of Samatsaman. The fact that there's just someone from midfielder to get their head up and think he's actually making a bend and run between a centre back and a full back yeah. must be a, a dream come true compared to you know the alternatives, which aren't great. If if Dwight Gill was to get injured, I'd worry about us. That's how important I think he is. And I know that sounds yeah. strange because he hasn't scored. Um, but if we keep creating chances, like I said, one of them will go in. And he, you know, I think he's been at the club since 2016 now. He's probably another one with a contract situation coming up, so it'll be interesting to see mm. whether he gets the same treatment as, as John Joe and Matt Ritchie. I've sort of, I've written an article which will go up as of the, this morning when this podcast goes out, sort of on basically the opportunity Newcastle now have looking ahead 
to the summer with now that I'm, I'm not saying they're safe yet, but I think that you can say that it's going to take a dramatic turn of events and the, the bottom three to suddenly have a ridiculous run of form for Newcastle to really be in trouble. So they can't be complacent, but they're nearly there. And so now they can actually plan going forward. And it ha- a striker has to be the priority. And I know Steve Bruce would like one. And I mean a proper striker as well. I don't mean a Joe Linton style experiment of a guy who clearly is not is not a striker has never been a striker I spoke to someone else in recruitment this week who said we I, I watched him a lot when he was at Hoffenheim got good links to Hoffenheim he was never a striker there either he was never an out and out centre forward and the Gale situation I can't see Newcastle renewing Gale's contract because he, he's 30 and I think it's October he's on quite high wages as it is which has been part of the issue of trying yeah. to get rid of him He's had a few injuries as well. He's had a few injuries. I don't think long term they'll see that as the answer. Maybe the summer they sell him. Andy Carroll, they've got a situation with. Obviously, he's. I think he's started four games this season. Hasn't been in any of the last seven league squads. And so Newcastle need a centre forward because Bruce has already said he's come out and said in the last few weeks that Joe Litton's not a natural goal scorer. He's not a centre forward. He first moved him out to the left, and now he's dropped him. They have a forty million pound problem with Joe Litton, which I need to try and work out. But they also this summer need to solve that. They've left the striker situation to go on for far too long. They need to find a solution there. It's a lot of money for essentially a third best winger, isn't it? <laughs> Let's well, be and when it, I actually thought when he came on on Saturday, he was very poor. I've I've defended him a fair bit recently, and I actually yeah. think he's he's got a lot of harsh stick. But I thought I thought he was poor when he came on set. He needed, I think he needed taking out. He needed taking out the firing line. There was too much pressure on the lad, and he was, it was starting to show. His body language and everything was just completely wrong. And I think it was it was time for him to have a rest, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and and I'm interested to see what what Steve Bruce is going to do with him between now and the end of the season because he's basically come out in public and said he's not he's not a centre forward. So is he going to play him in that sort of those three positions behind? I don't. Th- I mean, it's become almost a myth now that he was a left winger at, at Hoffenheim and he, and he wasn't. He wasn't, yeah. He, yeah. And, and, and it has been. Bruce now comes out and says it and it, it, it's almost become a fact. He actually played on the right more than he played on the left. Mm. But he tended to play as a sort of forward, a second forward second or whatever. Striker, so, yeah. But Almiron, that's now his best position as Bruce has come out and said. So you, you almost, ha- it's it's like that's trying to fit square pegs in a round horse, trying yeah. to fit everyone who plays in the same position at the team. I just, I'm just fascinated to see what they're going to try and do because they've got to make it work. I don't know about you guys, but if we're going to if we're going to persist with that four two three one formation, which is what it looks like at the moment, that three in behind the striker, who's your, who's your pick for those three positions? For me, it's got to be some Maximan left. Almiron in the middle, and I would probably say Lazaro on the right. I think they are the three who, to me, look like they're the most creative, the most interesting, the most dynamic as well, the ones who are going to get around the pitch the best. What about you guys? What do you think, Alex? Hard to disagree. I think we haven't really seen enough of Lazaro yet to say that he definitely starts ahead of Matt Ritchie, but you know he's fast, and what what have we been for a long time? Slow. Mm. You know, particularly when we played the other formation, we were just so slow in possession, so slow to move the ball. Yeah. Lazaro looks like a bit of an antidote to that, as well as John Joe Shelby coming back into the team. But going back to Matt Ritchie, he just seems to be such an integral part of the team spirit, which hasn't left with this season. You look yeah. back at previous years and when we were really, really bad under under Pardew and Carver, you, you know, God, if we'd had Matt Ritchie then, yeah. kicking players up the arse, kicking off at people, yeah, making yeah. them worried about turning up for training... <laughs> We might have been all right. I think Musa Sissoko might have been dead by now if that <laughs> if if Matt Ritchie had been around in those days. So so I, I agree with you to answer your question, but uh, I'd probably keep Ritchie in until Lazaro manages to come off the bench and maybe influence some games, mm. uh, like when we hope he can. 
But as we know, it's it's more than about just those eleven players, isn't it? It's a squad game. You have you have a, a match day uh, sixteen, is it? Match day sixteen or whatever it is. Eighteen. 18. My God, I'm stuck in the nineties. <laughs> uh, match day eighteen, and then you have the the players on top of that as well. And I think Matt Ritchie's a valuable a valuable player, which is probably echoed by the the club as well. And the fact that they've just given him this new deal, it's. It's shown in that he's he's part of the team, isn't he? He's part of the squad. Well, yeah, particularly because he's already 30 years old and Newcastle United Big surprise, yeah. don't very often give, or haven't in recent years, given contracts to, to, to players of that sort of age. I mean, Modi Army was a couple of years older, but he basically said last year, if you're a 32-year-old, you can get a one-year contract and, and that's about it. And they've extended Richie's contract, so that by the time that this one finishes, he'd be, he'd be 34. John Joe Shelby has signed a contract as well for a similar sort of time frame where he'd be, I think he'd be 31 by the end of it, but my understanding is there is an option for at least another year, it may even be longer, I'm not exactly sure the extent of it. And so they have they have committed resources to that. Now, I, I wrote a piece at the weekend sort of trying to ex- explain fr- from the, the sort of logic behind it, because if there's one player who divides Newcastle fans, it, it, it is John Joe Shelby. You either love him or you just don't quite get him. I mean, I've always, I've, I've always actually sat on the, actually, it divides everyone. I've always actually sat on the fence with it because I, I know that there is so much quality <laughs> there in what he does, but he also frustrates the life out of me because I know there could be so much more. The, the yeah. Southampton game was a perfect example. First half, when he was given the freedom, he, he, he controlled the game. Second half, he almost, it, he almost just wanted to grab him around the, the shoulders and just, just say, "Come on, you just, you can influence this game positively." Yeah. He didn't, and so. But, but you look at the alternatives and, and for Newcastle to replace John Joe Selvey, experience seems to actually have played a part for once in the Newcastle value experience, which which shock horror under Mike Ashley hasn't hasn't really been something. But the thought of how much it would cost to bring in a replacement for, for Shelby and Ritchie in the current climate with with relative experience, which it wouldn't have, it just didn't really make any sense not to, to extend the contracts in that sense and, and make sure that even if you do sell them in a year or two, you've got at least a little bit of value there. So kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit, some of the comments that I saw on, on Twitter during the week with the, when the two new deals got announced was like, this isn't the kind of deals you should be doing if you're a forward-thinking club, if you want to move on, if you want to progress. You know, you're not going to win anything with John Joe Shelby and Matt Ritchie and your team. I'm playing devil's advocate, by the way. This isn't what I think. Um, but... What do we think about that? I mean, is the, is this a valid opinion? Do we think that it could be a backward step? Are we maybe taking away funds and resources away from bringing in one or two younger, more exciting players? Potentially, but you, you've got to look at how bad we are at moving players on. You know, when do oh, we absolutely. ever bring a fee in for, for anyone? Players just yeah. seem to sit rot. And you know what? There isn't anything to say that you know these two players, if they if they have a, a good season or a good season next season, they may be in demand from other clubs. So just because you re-sign a player. I understand why people think they're now going to be here for the next 20 years or something because we can't shift players on. We can't move them out. I mean, Curtis Good's still playing for the reserves, <laughs> isn't he? That's, is that right? Harris Bukic? Henry Savvy is going to be here until <laughs> 2035, I think. But, you know, John Joe Shelby, like you say, Chris, you know, if you're a Premier League opposition or you're a Premier League manager, you're worried about John Joe Shelby because if he plays well, yeah. the team you're playing against will create chances. And yes, he might have an off day and he might just look like a huffed arsehole in the middle of the pitch kicking off with his teammates. But... We know that these two players can do it in the Premier League. And if you look at the the likes of St. Maximan, these are the players that I worry about. You know, St. Maximan, are we going to have another Denver Bar situation where they they come in and they do brilliant and they're not given a new contract? So if we're going to build a team around the likes of St. Maximan and Almiron, I'd much rather it was lads like John Joe Shelby who would know 
who we know can service them, who can get the ball into the box, mm. that kind of thing, and move the ball quickly. I, I think when John Joe Shelby's out of the team, we look miles worse. Yeah. Uh, because the ball just keeps getting played backwards. It keeps going back to Jamal Lascelles, who goes back to Cardolo for one game only, uh, to, to Bravka, who kicks it long, and, and they've got the ball back. So I get where people are coming from, but I'm, I'm just pleased that there's something going on up there. Do you know what I mean? That there's actually some sort of thought process, like, should we get these players in and yeah. give them new contracts? Because... There's still mighty long stuff going on. There's Sean long stuff. At least we're going to have some midfielders next season at this rate. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it, Chris? I mean, the mighty long stuff and the Sean long stuff situations. You would have thought, with Newcastle's previous strategies and their thoughts behind young players, that they would have been the two deals that got tied up quicker than the the Shelby and the Ritchie deals. You would have thought they would have been a bit more important to them, but obviously the the Shelby and Ritchie deals have been. Well, Newcastle seem to struggle to do more than one thing at once, so that that. <laughs> I think that's part of the issue there. But, I mean, basically, I think that, f- from my understanding, these negotiations are a lot more straightforward than that there have been with the Longstaffs and particularly the Matty situation. I mean, Matty was close to signing a new deal before he got his debut against Man United, and then mm, suddenly yeah. everything changed, obviously. that He then was a first-team player. Now, <clears throat> the Matty situation, a lot of people go, is it just about money? Well, no, it isn't just about money. Don't get me wrong, that is a factor in both Sean and, and Matty's contract situation. But if I'm Matty Longstaff... Steve Bruce is coming out the other day and saying, how many 19-year-olds have played are playing in the Premier League this year? Well, actually, there, there are about 10, but Matty has, has played a reasonable amount, but he hasn't even been in the squad recently. He isn't actually playing Premier League football at the moment. If he signs at the moment, and if Newcastle say, if Newcastle kept Bentaleb for next season, he's probably going to be fourth or fifth choice midfielder. So even then, he's thinking, is this, is this my best development? What is the development plan here? Whereas if he was to go to, say, Germany or somewhere like that, he may play more regularly. So I th- I th- the Matty situation is quite complicated and, and Newcastle have gone from a position towards the end of, of 2019 where I think they were fairly confident he was going to sign to now actually being quite worried that this is a situation which has dragged on far longer and it isn't yet doesn't seem close to being resolved and, and, that, and that is a concern. Just touching upon the, the, the Richie and Shelby situation, when you say about is this about is this a forward-thinking club, I think we've just got to put this in the context of everything there is with Newcastle United at the moment. Every single conversation we have, people go, oh yeah, but it, it, it's crap under Mike Ashley. We're never going to get any better. But that, that is a situation that Newcastle United, are, the, the, the reality of the situation, the reality of the way that the club is, that there are limitations as to how far it's ever going to progress under Mike Ashley. And so you can say something's a positive within the context that it's in, rather than saying this is the way that Newcastle United should be in general, because you know the limitations that the owner yeah. has imposed, and that's not going to change. So you can... I, I just find it, it a strange narrative when people just won't say anything at all is a positive even within that situation. You've just got to put it in that wider context and say, yes, in an ideal world, this wouldn't be the situation. But that is the reality of what Newcastle United is right now. That's what we've got, and that's what we've got yeah. to deal with. Yeah, It's it's interesting, isn't it? I think the, the going back to the FA Cup stuff, the West Brom game and uh, and the fallout from that and the excitement going into this, this quarterfinal against Man City, it's a lovely distraction from that league, isn't it? It's a lovely, lovely distraction to have. And it's strange, isn't it? Because we've said for years that we weren't going to concentrate on Cups. We weren't going to give them any kind of priority or or put anything into them. And and now we've suddenly found ourselves in a quarterfinal and you, you kind of feel like the good vibes are spilling over onto the league form and can spill over and make the team push on a little bit better. It's, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Maybe they should have been going for the Cups all along and maybe the Cup run is exactly what you need to, to kind of boost a faltering season. What do you think, Alex? Oh, spot on. It's uh, Whatever happens this season now, even though we've played lower league sides, you know, every, anyone who was at West Brom on whenever it was now, last Tuesday, it was a tremendous night. It's one it of my favorite nights in years, it was actually. Brilliant. Because it was so much fun. It's not stress-free. 
but you're not worrying about how are Brighton getting on, you know, have, have Villar equalised against whoever, yeah. and you, you're just watching the game, and that's all that matters, it's the game in that 90 minutes, that's cup football at the end of the day, and listen, Man City is the easier draws out there, yeah, but I cannot wait for weeks out there, it's going to be absolutely sensational, and you know what, maybe we'll get beat 3-0, and maybe it'll be horrific, but it might not, yeah. and that's, that's why tickets will be at a premium for this one, because... Um, I can't wait to just go and have a few drinks in the city and go into a game knowing that if we play well tonight, there's a chance we're at Wembley. Yeah. Like you say, that spills over into everything else. And it's no surprise to me that after Tuesday, when we were pretty good for long spells at West Brom and then terrible for the last 20, went into Southampton, most of the people I knew who went to Southampton were quite expectant. They'd, they'd gone and seen we score goals, which was the first yeah. time we'd scored yeah, yeah. a goal in 100 years. And we <laughs> We'll go and and, 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 and like if we lost at West Brom, you know who knows how we're going at Southampton. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that one of the major chasms between supporter and club in the past 10, 12 years has been the fact that we, even though we've hardly won anything, we're a cup team. Absolutely, you know, Glenn yeah, Rhodes yeah. getting us to quarterfinals. Graham Souness is getting us semi finals, yeah. and uh, hopefully, this teaches them something that the, the most important game in January is always the FA Cup game. Yeah. And I mean, I think Steve Bruce has been vindicated by putting a stronger team. Like I know every, I've I've had various conversations over the, over the past week of people going, yeah, but he, they they went to replays against two League One teams, and then they've gone and and then Eddie balls it up against uh, West Brom in the second half. And yeah, that that is all true. But he did actually he did he did stick to his word of saying he's going to play a strong team. Previous yeah. managers have said they're going to and didn't. He has taken it seriously. Now is has his team been good enough in a lot of those games to no they haven't and they should have they should have had an easier passage than a half. Absolutely. But they've got to the quarter final. The amount of times where Newcastle have gone and, and, and basically thrown in cup games. Benitez did it in, in a couple of... After, after having got them to the quarterfinal of the AFL Cup in the first year, he then basically went to Oxford. And in my opinion, he just threw that game in, essentially. He almost sent a political message by the team he sent out. There was various times where Pardew put out the kids or whatever. John Carver said he was going to play a strong team. Yeah. And then they went and got uh, hammered at Leicester in an awful match. And... The, 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 but there is this feel-good factor. They're in the quarterfinal of, of the FA Cup. And it... It's it is going to be a brilliant occasion, and I mean I saw the club put out before saying that they don't know in terms of allocation yet because Man City are entitled to it to quite a big yeah. allocation. You wonder how many Man City fans will necessarily travel up though because of the fact that they they regularly get to quarterfinals or semi-finals. Will they take it? It'd be nice if they didn't take a part of that allocation, get more Newcastle fans in there because the atmosphere seven o'clock on a Saturday, hopefully a ground mm. which is allowed to have people in. Um, will be absolutely magnificent. It's going to be, isn't it? It's, it's seven o'clock on a Saturday night. Everyone's going to be on the drink from eleven o'clock in the morning. It's going to be an absolute carnage by the time the game kicks off. I'm just, I want, I would love it if we made it a, a, a proper cauldron, a proper boiling atmosphere. There's nothing better than St James's Park when they've when they're in that mood of, you know, us against the world kind of feeling. And and I've only witnessed it a couple of times in the last few years. But when we get going, especially if the referee makes a decision against us in the first five minutes mm-hmm. and you feel that kind of everyone's got that back up and the noise is there. It's it's just incredible. There's no better place, I don't think. I totally agree. Totally agree. And uh fifteen pounds for season ticket holders. Brilliant. It's all right, isn't it? Superb. If you're a season ticket holder, uh thirty pounds for everyone else. Bit controversial. Uh the club Clearly trying to say you need to have a season ticket from now on, mm. um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think you know, I don't even think thirty quid's extraordinary. It's not cheap, but uh, yeah, like you say, seven o'clock there'll be loads of Weatherspoons breakfasts being sold because you need to buy like one breakfast per pint before it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just be like mountains of toast outside the Malcastle. That's that. Though. We know what Alex is doing a week on Saturday. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash Tyne and pay the postage of just four ninety five. And if that wasn't enough, as listeners to Pod on the Tyne, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe and find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Tyne to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners to Pot on the Tyne, get two extra free beers. But it's interesting, isn't it? One game potentially away from Wembley. And I mean, if you'd said that at the start of the season, we in 13th place in the league, looking comfortable-ish, we would have took your hands off for that, wouldn't we? I know that the performances haven't been great. I know at times we've been absolute dog shit to watch. But if you take the, the season as a whole, you've got to look at this and say it's been fairly positive. Yeah, I think again, it's, it's going to that sort of wider context sort of situation. Should this be massive achievement for Newcastle United? No, but particularly given last summer and particularly given the situation. I mean, last summer was chaos and a lot of people, I mean, Newcastle were among the favourites to go down. I think after they lost at Leicester, they were favourites to finish bottom. And yet they're in this situation now where, as I say, it's going to take a a dramatic turn of events for them not to be in the Premier League next season. They're into a cup quarterfinal for the first time in 14 years. That is success. Has it been uh, awful to watch? Yes, it's been absolutely terrible, but in terms of on-field actual success, quote-unquote, it, I, I think that the, the the team and Bruce and everyone deserves some credit for getting them to this sort of situation. Now they need to build and kick on, really, hopefully in the in the next year or two. But for now, in this context of where they are, I, th- I think that, yeah, at the start of the season, a lot of people would have taken this if you'd offered them it. I've been asking everybody this recently because it seems to be quite a, a hot question. Would you take a cup win and a relegation? Well, I don't know about that. I, I, I thought you were going to say, like, a steep who's done a good job, like a nice, easy question there. But no, no. Cup winning a relegation. No, no, no. Cup win. Relegated. Be, Last day of the season, relegated, but we win the FA Cup. A boring answer in that a lot of championship clubs these days sell their grounds to their owners to stay financially Whoa. alive. So I really don't fancy that. So I'm going to say. I've just been sick in my mouth a yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say no now that this uh, new practice might have been. You know, highlighted to the person that owns the club. Um, mm. I'm going to say, no, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll take two trips to Wembley and one of them successful, and and you know, losing on penalties or something in the last minute against a team that costs loads more money than us, so we can just take them all high ground and be like, <laughs> yeah, but your your Riyad Mahrez, or we can't have him because we're going to beat him next week. But whoever costs more than our whole team, yeah, we never like expected that. to win yeah. this anyway, so it's just a deal. Yeah, we've for got Joe Linton. What do you expect? That yeah, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> we didn't spend anything on him. <laughs> what about you, Chris? I think. It's a horrible th- question, isn't it? It is. I, I think I'm now just of the just of the opinion that I think winning the cup just I just think it would be such a a, a sort of a, well it would be an incredible moment. I mean, 65 years since they won a domestic trophy, got what is it, f- f- 51 years since they won a trophy of any form in the Toto Cup and Championship aside and Texaco Cup or, cup or whatever <laughs> whatever else you want to throw in there. Anglo Italian. The Cassie United have won that the <laughs> pre-season tournament in wherever. Um, 
I mean, relegation would be damaging, but I, I think I'm now in a confident enough position to say I don't think Newcastle are going to go down, so I would just take the cup win now. So, all right, you you just completely <laughs> changing the uh, completely changing the conditions for me. I look at it and I think, well, you know, Premier League places and I. Playing in the Premier League every week is great. Um, I I love the fact that Newcastle are a Premier League team. I've watched them in the Championship. I've started supporting them when they were in the in the old second division. Um, personally, a cup win is something that lasts forever, and that would be to me a massive, massive achievement. Now I'm I grew up watching the FA Cup and absolutely loving it. I, I it would mean the world to me for us to win that trophy. I'd massively, massively love to win that. If we got relegated in the process, personally, I'm not actually that bothered about that. Can I give you a, an unexpected experience I had this weekend? Go on, I was at the DW for Wigan Luton um, in the away end with the Luton fans. Two terrible, terrible, terrible teams, nil-nil. Um, but I actually spoke to a Wigan fan about this very thing. And, right. and I said, well, you know, for all the shit you've been through since, and I have been through a lot, and they have mad owners now as well in, in Hong yeah. Kong, um, and I said, but you had that cup win, didn't you? And he said, you know what? As good as it was, uh, they they actually got to Wembley four times in the space of eight months or something because they they got to the semi final the year after. So he he was like, Wembley was great, the cup win was great, but I'm not swear really bad. I'm not use the word he used, but but we're screwed basically. And if we stayed in the Premier League, would have been okay. And right now, the prospect of going back down to League One again. Hmm. He's like, the, you know, if there's any Sunderland fans listening, I'm sure you've got loads of Sunderland listeners. Loads, um, yeah, absolutely loads. It's like, basically, it's it's like going it's going to like the park and watching some blokes play football right. at that level, yeah. and it kills them. So he actually, you know, we talked about that, and he said he he would rather have stayed up, got the new TV deal, tried to build on it, than win the cup. But that's just one bloke, like. But it's mm, interesting that, yeah. that even Wigan fans now are still having that conversation. It'd be interesting if you if you made a poll of Wigan fans and said, you know, what what was the best day of your life? They'd probably right. say yeah. that cup win. <laughs> you know, this is, the, this is the thing. I mean, I... I I would just love dearly to see Newcastle win something. I mean, I, I watched those the cup finals in the nineties and cried. I was still a young kid, do you know what I mean? I cried my eyes out when we when we got beat at Wembley and stuff like that. And and it it would mean the world to me to see us win it. And I'm, I was resigned to the fact that we'd never win any silverware in my lifetime. So to see us win a cup would be massive. So I mean, now, we have to get past... decided they are winning the cup. Well, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already beaten Man City. <laughs> Who we got in the semis? What are we? Tottenham, Chelsea? I don't know. Easy piece of piss. We'll walk it. Anyway. <laughs> One thing, uh, winning the cup equals Europe and get me back to Benfica, Bordeaux, Bruges from 2013. They Can the you imagine like... the carnage, right, of an FA Cup win at Wembley, Europe the next season... One week playing at Benfica and the next week playing at Brentford. <laughs> Can you imagine the carnage? It would be incredible. Come on, I'm all in for a season <laughs> in the championship. What yeah, about did, you? Did Bert, was it Ipswich who got relegated but got in and it got be like seven one on aggregate by someone? Millwall, possibly. I think Ipswich got to the were in the Premier League when they when oh, you were. were they in the, but yeah. Mill, Millwall Millwall lost to Man United, I think. Are and they? then the next Wigan as well. Wigan won the cup and went down. So it has been done. Not successfully, but it has been done. <laughs> we can lead the way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in the style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size, shape and your clothing needs and wants. 
A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially from our selection of over 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home, style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co.uk forward slash athletic. Anyway, right, let's move on right at the end of this, uh, uh, towards the end of this podcast. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit to you, Alex, about uh, the NUFC Trust and also about True Faith. You, you're heavily involved with the Trust. You're the chair of the Trust, I believe. Can you give me a little bit of update about what's going on with the Trust at the moment? Yeah, so at the Trust right now, we're, we're speaking to Newcastle United. We're, we're, we're in the process of arranging a date to meet with Lee Charnley. Excellent. Try and get some, put some questions to him from our members. I think it would be fair to say that the club have admitted that their communication with our fan base hasn't been up to scratch. Surely not. No, I know. But, but they've admitted it and they say they are in the middle of a transformative communication strategy. So, you know, watch this space for that. We've also been promised by the club um, an in-depth look with a, a qualified accountant into the, the books under Mike Ashley. Last 12 years or whatever, 12 seasons, and that's oh. important to some fans. They would like to see where the money's gone. The club have said, we'll, we'll show you. Um, as long And to be fair to the club as well, um, they will pay for whoever we get, uh, obviously it can't be me. <laughs> I can't just be looking at a load of numbers saying, well, <laughs> well, where's Denver Bar and all this? Where, where's Ewan Kabai gone? Um, so that, that that's positive. You know, We'll have to see that follow through the pond. I've got no reason at the minute to, to, to mm. doubt that. But that is really important to us. And we'll work closely with the club to create their new fan focus group strategy, which replaced the old fans forum, which I personally was not a big fan of at all because mm. I didn't think it served the, the interest of the wider fan base. Yeah. Um, and you know it's not the sexiest thing in the world to be speaking to people at the club about ticketing issues on the website, fans being locked out and having to go to the box office with ID or um, the female bogs in the East Stand not having all these giant things. puddle but, in the Gallagher end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> they do they do matter to some people. <laughs> yeah, and the fact absolutely. that there is now uh, an official process with the club to kind of talk through these things a few times a season is positive. Like anything, it could be improved in its early days. So we're really happy from that perspective that the, the club so far have, have followed through with everything that they've said they're going to do. And, you know, there'll be people listening to this who think, well, I, I don't care what Lee Charney has to say because for obvious reasons. But there are people who spend a lot of money watching Newcastle or people who, who don't, who who want some answers or would like to yeah. know why the club does certain things. At the minute, um, I would lo- you know, I'd love Lee Charney to come and do something like this. We're used to and, and answer your questions. But at the minute, the Supporters Trust seems to be the only vehicle for supporters to get an answer from the mm. club on key things. And, you know, we've got nearly 10,000 members now, which we're, we're lucky to have. It's only one pound to join. It, it exists purely for Newcastle United fans. You could argue, some people argue, the club doesn't even exist for that purpose. So mm. if you're looking for a body at the minute, which only exists for all fans, whatever, whether, whether you're boycotting, whether you live in the, you know, Toronto, whether you live and breathe Newcastle United every single day outside St. James's Park, we exist for you, and if you listen to this now, it's one pound to join. It's great, and we have noticed a difference in our voice with the club. We're 10,000 members compared to pretty much zero when I got involved. Yeah. Imagine if we had 50,000 or 100,000 members. Um, we were recognised by the Premier League, or recognised by the Football Supporters Association who, who help us and guide us. And get involved. It, it exists for you. It isn't a, a fans group, as I hear some people say on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a... It's an open membership club that that exists for the benefit of the Newcastle United supporting community. And there's all sorts of things we could do and we want to do 
you know, the last 12 months, the lads last year, I was at the, the Vitality last year when Matt Ritchie rifled one in the 94th minute and a couple of my mates ran down the steps and could have been on the pitch themselves and would have been arrested. And our members came together to raise money for those lads who were arrested. One of them, if you're listening, hasn't claimed it. It's still sat there. <laughs> uh, but the other lads all, all claimed their money, which is great. So we can do little things like that. And, you know, it's uh, the board, uh, which were elected, we had elections back in October. Over 3,000 people voted, which... You know, again, it's a it's support, an impressive number. That it's isn't a supporter it? election. It's not. It's not going to be you yeah. know breaking news on on BBC six o'clock news or anything like that. But it's it's great to have so many people involved and engaged. And we had our AGM last week, which we do every year, and we presented our accounts. So all the money that we're taking from supporters, you know, we we'll have to produce accounts um, through a, an accountant, obviously, but also have them audited and have the FCA look over them so there is no safer place. Because you get that on Twitter sometimes, don't you? Where's the money go? And someone asked me, well, where's the money now? And it's like, it's in the bank account. Where where else would it be? Mm. So the, we're very open, very transparent. And if you want to get involved, you know, there's board elections every single year. If you think, you know what, actually... Alex Hurst on the Athletic Podcast, you talk a load of shite. I could do loads better. You can. You, you yeah. can You can stand for election. We're really lucky this year. We had nine really passionate Newcastle fans wanting to get involved, and four of them, including myself, were lucky enough to be elected to the board. But it's an annual thing. So it exists for you, the people listening. It doesn't exist for me or anyone else on the board or, or the football club or any commercial interest. Yeah. It exists for the fans of Newcastle United. And if you can't get behind that, what will you get behind that, say? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to point out when we get this a lot when it comes to what you call fan groups, you get a lot of criticism of these groups from various people and people on Twitter and social media and stuff saying, oh, it's just an ego trip for the people who are involved. This is absolutely definitely not the case with the trust. And I know this 100%. The people who are involved are genuine people. They give up their time for free to get involved in all of this stuff. And they, like you say, it's a democratically elected process. You, you guys are there because you've been chosen to be there. It's, it's not like the fans forum was and it's not like any other fans group is it's it's a completely different thing isn't it oh massively and you know it's uh it, it i'll not lie it's fairly time consuming for me oh, absolutely um it's not you know the most ego boosting thing in the world be stood in a queue at barclays bank for half an hour on a work day trying to pay a bill because the way we're accounts set up i've got to go in branch to pay stuff with mm, id yeah. um and you know we you know like the club to be fair to them They'll, they'll quite often say to me, will you come and have a chat about this or that? And yeah, absolutely I will, but I have to give up time again in my working day because yeah. the club quite naturally <laughs> exists during the working day. So th- there's no egos involved. And, you know, I would love nothing more than someone more capable than me. And there are loads of people out there more capable than me to, to be able to come along and take this on from me or anyone else on the board. You know, we had we had a, we had a day on, on Sunday, International Women's Day, where we think the Newcastle United women's team, a bit like the first team, lags behind pretty much every other women's team going, which is really sad because this is a football crazy area. We'll have more female fans than ever. There are more women and girls playing football than ever. But about, you know, fifty or sixty people watch the, the Newcastle women's team at Druids Park. Shame, so it? Linda on our board along with um Whitley Bay Sporting Club decided that they were going to get as many people down as possible and according to her figures there was nearly four hundred people there. So fantastic. You know, there is the passion out there for, for football in Newcastle United. Um and although it's uh, it's not been great for all of us in this room pretty much, I think it's fair to say, the last 10, 12 years as supporters, the only way I can think, and I'm someone who has a season ticket and goes to the games, I don't boycott or anything like that, but the only way I can think we can try and affect positive change at the club is through the trust. If anyone else has any other ideas, then we at the trust, we're all ears. And, you know, we have a, it's a broad church. I think there's only two of one on the board who who go to games. The the other five, for whatever reason, um, you know, d- have decided against going to games. So yeah. even at board level with us, 
it's a uh, you know there's a diversity of opinion there. It's mm-hmm. not people who are enthralled to the club or anything like that. Absolutely. We just want to get answers for fans and. Again, there is no better way to do that than the supporters' trust. Absolutely. Can I, can I just ask in terms of, because I was at the AGM and, and, and a couple of the sort of criticisms I've seen levelled at the trust in, in you sort of address. So one of them is that you talk about your numbers swelling. Well, part of that was, was sort of around the time that, that, that Rafa Benitez came in and you sort of addressed this issue. So can you just explain on that for people who in that criticism? But also the other one about those fans who, who you said... Why are you talking to the club? Why are you engaging with Lee Charney? Can you explain the, 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 why you believe that or why the trust is there to do to, to serve that function, please? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that, that question first about why. Um, you know, the, the Premier League makes sure that all of its football clubs communicate with its fans and has to communicate with its properly set up, democratic, constituted supporters trust. There can only be one trust per club. And... You know, some clubs do podcasts. Some clubs do YouTube videos, taking questions. Not not quite there yet at Newcastle United, but <laughs> if the club didn't have to speak to us, at the trust, they wouldn't have to speak to anybody. Mm-hmm. And maybe the, if someone from the club was in here talking to you, like the, I hope they would be one day, um, they would explain that they would always want to speak to fans or they'd always want to do this. Or do, you know, not necessarily going to be the trust. But I think looking at the past, what however many years you want, um, in terms of fans being able to get answers about big issues at their football club, we are the only people at the minute able to deliver that. And I think that because we're in that position where we can, through the the rules that the Premier League and the FSA came out with together and set, um, you know, why wouldn't we get answers? It it would seem bizarre. And and like I said, there's a a diversity of opinion at this football club and in this city, not just about football. You know, there are 40,000-odd, well, however many season ticket holders, pick your own number, depending on the free tickets, as I need to spend water on the expensive gear um, in Fury. Um, there are there are th- so many thousands of people who still engage with this football club. There are people listening to this podcast now, I imagine, because they're Newcastle United fans, not just fans of you two fine gentlemen, although there are many of those. So so why why wouldn't we seek answers from the, from the people who ultimately make the decisions at this football club? It would be bizarre to me. And yeah, I was, obviously I got some of those questions at the AGM saying, well, they all tell lies, they all, you know, and that's fine because we, we probably won't get answers that people want. But God, I'd rather, get, you know, I'd, I'd rather that someone like the Chronicle or the Athletic were in front of Lee Charney getting answers than not <laughs> or, 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 yeah. or getting answers to questions than not. And it's got to be the same with the official supporters body. You have to at least try and not just get answers, by the way, give feedback. You know, we, we yeah. were at the last fan focus group and, and we gave the club some positive feedback as well. I know that, that may seem bizarre, but there are things that go on at the football club which are positive for supporters. Mm. Um, it's important that there is that relationship there. And you know what the club the club might say, we'll listen to fans and we'll do this. Well, yeah, but logging on to Twitter probably isn't the best way to, to get the mood of Newcastle supporters. Mm. I was at the, the DW on Saturday, my eyes bleeding, so I put my phone on to see what was happening in Newcastle match following Twitter in Newcastle were the worst team in the world, nil nil in the second half. It was an absolute disgrace. You logged on at full time and it's cock a hoop and it's that's the ultimately the nature of Newcastle yeah. fans where every win is so big at the minute. So y- you have to be able to to go to the football club and, and and put to the football club what people want to ask, whether they're season ticket holders or not, we're not bothered. As long as you remember the trust, we will try and get your question. Yeah, we can't take on nearly ten thousand questions, but you'd think a lot of them would be the same and we'll get the most popular questions out there. Uh, I appreciate I've done a lot of talking, but do you want me to answer that second question now? Or? <laughs> go for it, yeah, yeah, yeah go for um, it. I've got my water, so I'll be all right. In terms of, you know, people say well, your, your membership only swelled because Rafa Benitez left. Um, yes, that, that did happen. That's quite natural. When a, a really catastrophic event, in my opinion, people tend to, to turn to and look to 
however they can to try and influence the football club. There probably were a lot of people, I would say through no fault of my own or anyone else on the board, who, who potentially um, came on board because they thought we were potentially a, pr- a protest group who would leave boycotts and all that kind of stuff. That's not our cup of tea. It's not why we were created. The good news is, for people, there are lots of groups like that who, who actively advocate and organise boycotts at St James's Park. Um, yeah, our numbers, well, massively. But we, me and the new board, we're not new anymore, we came together just after we beat Man City last season, actually, um, to try and regalvanise the trust, which had, had kind of fallen away a little bit. The, the guys who were involved previously had put a lot of time and effort into uh, the foundation of the Newcastle United Fans Food Bank, not just guys at the Trust, some other excellent individuals as well. And I understand completely why they went down that that route. But, you know, when we took over, we didn't have a bank account, uh, we didn't have a membership list, we didn't have a working website. So I had a lot to do to get us up to speed and were lucky enough to, to gain nearly 3,000 members before uh, Rafa Benitez left. And you're right, we, we gained about 5,000 members that week. And... All I'll say is, you know, those members are as important to us as any others. And if mm. any of those members are unhappy about the the way the trust is run, like I said to you before, you, they have the power to change it. So for anybody who's listening who wants to get involved and wants to f- uh, follow the trust or become a member, what's the website for the for the trust? The website's nufctrust.co.uk. Okay. Uh, we're on Twitter at nufctrust and the links are on there. Um, you know, getting we'd love it every time a new member joins. I absolutely buzz. It's absolutely brilliant that someone's thought. You know what? I'm going to give this a go because it's not an active membership organisation. We put out surveys. We are interested in members' thoughts. But beyond kind of just lending your voice and your presence as a member, does so much for the trust. I promise you now, if we had no members, we wouldn't be organising a meeting. In my opinion, with with people as high at the football club as we are, I, yeah. I don't think. Well, what to be fair to the club, why would the club engage with an organisation that had no members? It would yeah, be strength in numbers, ridiculous. isn't it? So yeah, strength in numbers. Absolutely. Also, you're heavily involved with True Faith as well, I believe. Yeah. Involved in the podcast. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's kind of a full circle for me because I started <laughs> in, in getting involved with podcast was was through True Faith as well. Through when when Michael, Michael Martin was there as the as the editor. How's that going? How's the podcast going? I mean, I listen. I listen regularly. It's a great listen you guys are, are fantastic there's a wide variety of opinions and 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 you know you, you have arguments and you know you don't always agree with each other it's it's a good listen and it sounds great and and I, I think people should check it out if they haven't already how's it going with that thanks very much it's going great we're lucky that we'll have um you know podcasters up and down the country so we're, our usp because uh newcastle as fans we're lucky that we've got a range of excellent podcasts yourselves included of course i think there's something for everybody there uh, you know, we've got lads in America doing podcasts now and everything. Uh, we try and beat every single game home and away, much like you, Chris. I know you travel the country watching Newcastle for your sins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's going well. Um, we're lucky that we get we get good listenership. Um, we will have a patron where fans pay you know a couple of quid a week for for extra shows. And you know what, like 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 you lads, we can only talk about what's in front of us. Absolutely. Um, the best thing about the podcast for me is that the, it allowed us to take the fanzine back into print. It's really sad, in fact, it's not just Newcastle, but fanzines up and down the country for just whatever in general, reason yeah, yeah. Have, have kind of gone to the wall. And I, I really am a big fan of fan media. You know, I love the tra- traditional media, Chris. It's brilliant. It's absolutely class. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love I loved, I loved what you and Bess used Chris. to do, and I used to be a massive listener of your show, um, and still am to this one. Right. And fa- fan media, there's nothing for me, and it's just a personal thing, about hearing fan experiences and, and hearing fans talk about football. Yeah. Um, and... You know, being able to bring the fanzine back and the fanzine, just so people know, there is no editorial line. We don't, you know, if anyone listening to this wants to write in the next issue of True Faith, they just have to email in. And as mm-hmm. long as it's coherent, 
it will it will be. And even if you want to write an article about how bad true faith is, I'd probably print it. I mean, they even, they even printed some stuff that I wrote in exactly. the past, and that was barely coherent. <laughs> so, you know, that's fantastic. Also, we've got Chris sitting here in his branded The Athletic hoodie, just in case anyone forgets who the company man is <laughs> on this podcast. Well, lads, we've 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 natted on now for, for close to 45 minutes. It's been great fun. Alex, thank you so much for coming in and sitting in George's seat this week. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point in the future. I hope we uh, hope we speak to you soon and uh, enjoy the, the Man City game. I'm sure you're going to. It sounds like it's going to be a great afternoon. Chris, thanks for coming in again, mate. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. I, I, it's weird because I don't feel miserable at the end of a podcast and I think that's more George than the Newcastle United situation. <laughs> I think that that's what it is. You get depressed by osmosis when George says <laughs> next day. It's just constantly, yeah. But no, it's great fun. Thanks a lot for coming in, lads, and, uh, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, everybody at home, for listening. And uh, have a look at theathletic.com for some more uh, Newcastle United stories coming out this week as well. Okay, take care.